We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast this is your you know what the frequency is variable but we do things kind of all over the map sometimes we're we're once a week sometimes we have a little bit of space in between this week we've recorded i think three episodes four in the past like several days this is amazing we are still on our grand tour of florida we are currently just north of key west actually and we have we have a very generous sponsor for all we intents do. and purposes, who has has shuttled us down to Florida? I'd say spirited is probably a spirited better way. Taking us because he flew us on Spirit Air, and we were like, "Dude, this is really not. <laughs> this is not true. This is not okay. This is not true." But he, he changed it, but he knows yeah. he knows what we do. And by we, I mean I'm Camille Foster. I do various things at Freethink. I am here with Michael Moynihan, Vice News, and with Matt Welch, editor at large of Reason Magazine, and I am. I'm delighted to be here, gentlemen. I'm staring off at like coconuts and palm trees here in uh, Moray Bay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hashtag Moray Bay. And you, you can Never actually forget. hear the wind going through the yeah, palm in trees. Case that you is what you hear. Matt it's was not like static. on DMT or something. And I'm like, I'm staring at coconuts and trees. <laughs> like he's actually <laughs> literally staring at coconuts and trees because we are recording this outside. You might hear that yeah. sort of light whistle in the background of the palm trees in the wind. We are outside staring at the ocean. Is that right? I am. Because my back's still doing it. Sounds better from over here. It's technically the Gulf of Tonkin. But, yes, uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, Matt, Matt, do you want to say a few words about our generous sponsor who's, who's brought us here today? The Matt Asher Show, ladies and gentlemen, which you can get. Which you've been on. I've been on. You've been on the Matt Asher Show. Uh, well, the previous, how was your experience? Because he's, he's, of he's the close by and we're at his house. Yeah. So please yeah. don't tell us the truth <laughs> if it was a horrible experience. He's just uh, very intellectually interested in kind of the currents that are happening right now and asking incisive, uh, incisive questions. Interviewed a bunch of people. Uh, I think quite a few people who've been on our podcast over the years. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and uh, and come, I can I can mention the, what, the, what we're here for the PBS. Uh, he's going to have some uh, uh, exciting uh, videos, not just no podcast. This is a whole big, great video production with various guests. And we are going to be one of those various yes. guests, which yeah. we're going to do later on If we on make today. the cut, we're going to shoot an episode. We, That's true. It's, it's possible cut. that it will be yes. like not good enough or it'll be too too hot for TV. Well, we haven't gone on the little jet skis yet. So there's <laughs> all kinds of things that can go wrong between now and then. I mean, I think it's, it's more like Camille talking. Is what will go wrong? <laughs> like, Let me tell you about race. And it's like, oh my God, it's PBS, dude. Don't, don't do that. It's fine. I'm going to do all of my contributions from the jet ski. So you'll have to try to hear <laughs> you me You have to get one of those ski. like Janet Jackson headsets, like mm-hmm. they come around and just like out in the yes. middle of the ocean, like a long shot, long lens. <laughs> but yeah, like I looked at... Um, uh, when I first looked at Matt's podcast, and I saw the good thing about it, not only uh, the bad thing about it is Matt's been on. Yeah, like, I just again the other Matt, yeah. the yeah. other Matt Welch, uh, Matt yeah. Welch. <laughs> Asher's fine, Welch not so good. Uh, you had Kurt Anderson on too, didn't you? Like so, you're, it's all over the ideological map. It's not like a right wing, left wing. It's just a podcast of people you find interesting. And we don't have a mic on him because he's just, but <laughs> he's no, like he's, vigorously. he's sitting, he's like Buddha. He's like very, he's, he's watching his it. head. He's watching. And he's it. being very smart and uh, taking notes about what not to ever ask <laughs> us later on when the camera starts. No, rolling. this is a rehearsal for when we do it on yeah. camera. And it's like, God, right. you guys really fucking wasted my money. <laughs> but thank you, Matt, for bringing us down. Absolutely. And uh, you should all listen to his show. 
uh, and just skip the Matt Welch episode. And watch. Uh, on, uh, come, Soon. Come we'll, the fall. we'll talk about it when it comes yeah. on, on on television and YouTube and all that stuff. Yeah. But this is this is the reason for our, our Florida tour, which is very, very brief and yes. actually came upon you all quite suddenly yes. because we didn't give you much time to prepare. But we did. <laughs> we are on the we are on the other side of two really fabulous live recordings in Miami mm. at Holy Just cow. the Funny, yeah. um, which is an improv comedy theater. The, and I should just say that the proprietors of that particular venue oh my God. were just remarkable people. They were great hosts. They did a Amazing. lot to take care of us and set the they stage so up great. and yeah. they kept us they, comfortable. They kept our our audience there, um, our two separate audiences, because we by recorded the way, two shows very, very, very deep in alcohol. Which so is, there's... <laughs> it, like, if you're pretending... If, I'm just going to pretend this is the first episode of The Fifth Column you've ever listened to. Uh-huh. Just pretend that. Because yeah. you'll hear Camille will be very even kissing our audience, and I <laughs> am going to tell you the truth. Psychopaths. <laughs> just <laughs> Our motley trash audience, <laughs> whom we love dearly. Yes. But guys, I mean, good Lord... There's people swigging their own. They bought their own <laughs> bottles of wine it's true. Like for themselves. It's true. I mean, yeah. it looked like no too fisting. I know it looked like John a, like a Phillies game in the eighties. Like <laughs> literally dragging, and I was like, Jesus Christ. Someone's going to punch Steve Carlton. I may, I may have encouraged that, especially we the all did, yeah. show yeah. Uh, because I saw so many people with their own bottles, and then I was just like, okay, well, the rest of y'all are lagging. Yeah. I don't think that just the funny will ever sell. As much, as much booze, booze as no, that. As no, that. no chance. But, yeah. but I did hear that our audience is especially generous and they were tipping everyone. Yes. Everyone. Everyone. Just like coming out of the pockets. Also, a, a number of people I talked to, just they mentioned Never Flat Coach Gang, which is great. Yep. It's wonderful. And um, again, very appreciative. Um, appreciative of our guests. And you will hear those live episodes yes. here um, very soon. Uh, we'll be releasing the full versions of both of those on the Patreon very soon. So if you're a patron, you get to hear those soon. Um, and I think there'll probably be an, an edited like supercut of the two yeah, we'll put that one out, yeah. of the two that'll release. But just so you know, because it's not it's not well. a secret anymore because it's out there on Twitter. Yeah, we had um, uh, Dave Barry, the yes uh, world famous columnist who was very very funny, so super funny. And, and as I said to Dave, you know, and I've said a number of times since, you worry that a guy who's who's funny in print isn't funny in person. That is not the case. With Dave Barry, <laughs> yeah. very funny in person. And the second guest. Much requested. Nick yep. Gillespie. Nick motherfucking Gillespie. He gave a legendary Legendary. Who was on fire? He might have been on meth. I don't know. Because <laughs> yeah. he was really rolling. He was microdosing something. He was microdosing happiness. A lot of energy. And it was <laughs> funny as hell. It came out from yeah. Bill Schultz as well. Which is <laughs> the, the deeply said about that in the better. Deeply in character, Bill Schultz. <laughs> there is no character. It's just one guy. I can tell you very, when very When he got up and I was like, did he piss his pants? I just, because <laughs> no. it's happened before. I don't know. But it was it was very fun. And um, one other thing is that we did do a uh, small run exclusive for the Miami show mm-hmm. and held some back in New York of uh, merch stuff. Yeah. So if you're over there at the Patreon, uh, we'll be uh, uh, talking about that a little more, sending a few things for some people. That's right. Some of you have been complaining about some stuff. You're getting some stuff. You're getting some stuff. Stop complaining. We always, we're always Why did I sound like Joe Biden? Oh, <laughs> come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm not kidding around here. Look, at, look at her over there. you going to get a shirt? 13 years sure? old, looking gonna, like she's 19. Equalize her legs, cross. Look at you, girl. You know what you're doing over there. Wait, can we, Lolita. Let's, if we can get into that. Let's get, get into that. <laughs> that was a good thing to wake up to. 
a bunch of <laughs> European leaders saying like, we are going to say 15% on everybody, the lowest minimum. But by the way, <laughs> I just want to put European accent. I don't, uh, it was uh, Belgian. <laughs> I, also, also, I don't know which, which transition that was, because I was talking about Joe Biden talking about the young lady in the audience. And now we're talking oh, G7 shit, tax I didn't, deal. Okay, so I didn't, can you tell me about that? Because I didn't see it. <laughs> no, it's very, it's actually completely ridiculous and yeah. not at all um, interesting or dodgy. Like Joe Biden is giving a speech. It is like characteristic or textbook Joe Biden 2021, where he's like kind of giving a speech and it's like, geez, this is wow. This is difficult to watch. And at some point he just starts to say like, he's, he's playing around with some kid in the audience Doing crowd work. just goes on for a little bit too long. And he just, he <laughs> says that this like 14 year old girl or 13 year old, oh, girl, some young girl like looks older because she's wearing earrings and she's like sitting there in like a very regal kind of adult manner. And the way he describes it has been characterized as like, oh, there he, there goes creepy Joe Biden. Look at him. Look at him sexualizing this wow. child. But to suggest that like a 14-year-old looks older because she's wearing earrings and has her legs crossed like well, an adult. Depends on who's saying like, That's not scintillating. There's nothing sexual about that. If it was Bill Clinton. Well, that's, different. A, that's a little different. <laughs> if it was Jeffrey Epstein, it'd be little, like, okay, well, that's, yes. get him off the stage. Yeah. Jeez. But so there, that, I, I, I saw the headline. Yeah, it's a funny And I'm an, funny I don't scan. watch them. Because I find them too uncomfortable. Uh-huh. It, Trump was never a problem for me. Like, because when he says stupid things, he's kind of hilarious sometimes. We've <laughs> sometimes. acknowledged this. Sometimes. Nothing to do with politics. He yeah. can be very funny. Good, good timing. Bush, I couldn't really do it either. Like, when, like, the malapropisms of Bush, oh, I yeah. just, I would have to be like, ah, it's too awkward. I don't. I didn't find it comfortable, so I didn't watch this one. Yeah, it was stupid. Okay, you didn't, didn't miss, miss anything. anything. You didn't miss anything. But but the G seven tax deal is because this is. Uh, I guess it's Saturday. This out. is the fifth <laughs> of June. Just yesterday, the G seven met in yeah. London, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, who can name all the G seven nations? U.S., U.K., Canada, France, Japan, Germany, France, Germany. Italy. That's the G7. Because Swaz- there's been a bunch of different. I think Swaziland stuff. is like the plus one. <laughs> we got G five, G six. G G seven G seven plus one yep. G eight which was a bad idea and then they had to back down from that after Russia took yeah. Crimea Should've um never so backed into that but yeah so and then there's G twenty yeah but the thing that really disappointed me was that I think it was the Chancellor of the Exchequer got a question this morning about this deal which mm-hmm. would be fifteen percent now Joe Biden had initially proposed twenty one percent right which would be for those who are un- unaware a global minimum corporate tax right. that would essentially say, oh, no, we're all equal now. Yeah. So it eliminate, trying to eliminate tax competition. And they're specifically targeting the big, the big tech companies. Speci- yeah. There are things in there that basically target Facebook and Amazon right. you know, in big companies. Uh, Ireland is very, very angry about this, right. by the way, because they have a 12.5% right. uh, corporate tax rate, which, uh, by the way, went, took Ireland from one of the crappiest most depressing countries in Europe to a crappy, depressing com- a country with more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in like 1988, there was a cover of The Economist and it had, this is actually true, it said um, something about the poorest nation in Europe and there was a picture of some, you know, broken looking <laughs> Irish person on the street, like, give me some money. I don't know, it's Boston Irish. <laughs> I mean, you see the trash is all the same. Yeah. And then, you know, 15 years the, later, the, the, Celtic the, Tiger. But I remember that particular cover. It said, like, wealthiest man in Ireland. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it said Irish Taoiseach <laughs> Prime Minister. And he's like, he's, he was just begging. He was very poor. But so uh, Ireland's quite upset about this, uh, as, as you would imagine they would be. And the I think it was the Chancellor of the Exchequer was, was pressed on this and said, you know, Biden said 21%, 15%. And he said, no, 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 
it's 15% or above. Mm-hmm. So they actually clarified, and this is a conservative government, you know, Boris Johnson's government in the UK, that it could actually be higher than 15%. Yeah. But they all agreed that this is a good idea. Well, well this, so, it, there's not many uh, nations of heft that are under 15% now. Mm-hmm. Are there? I mean, Ireland, Ireland is famously tax competitive. I guess Switzerland is probably think, the one that, that's going to take it the shorts as usual. Yeah, it's but not, like they don't have, they don't, they're not signing on to that stuff. But it sounds like the argument here isn't merely that they're going to like fix the percentages. It's that there are various loopholes that allow them to escape this if they're oper- if they're multinational companies and they're operating in different countries. And this their agreement now is you going to pay. We're going to find a way to make you at least pay like these minimum rates. And again, I, I probably agree. This seems like the sort of thing that is at least going to create some dissension in the ranks because they need to sell this to more countries in order for it to make any meaningful difference. Because this, these seven countries agreeing upon it on their own isn't terribly interesting. And there's very little reason to think at this moment anyways, that Russia and China are going to be on board with no. this. not. Yeah. No, nor, I mean, you can imagine Eastern European countries, Baltic countries who became incredibly successful, uh, particularly a place like Estonia, who, after Soviet occupation for, you know, 60 years, uh, had a flat task. Flat yeah. tax, and it was, you know, Mart Lahr, who yeah. was the uh, prime minister, uh, the little... A little uh, shortly hobbit. Yeah, little Manchichi Mart Lahr, who, and I, that flat tax, I mean, Russia has a flat tax, too. I think it's about 15%. It's around that area. Don't quote me. We should maybe fact check that later. That's fine. I mean, it's palm trees. We've been yeah, drinking for a couple of days. I can make up tax rates. I'm just going to start <laughs> playing Margaritaville right now. <laughs> the rest of the, let's put it on a loop. Uh-huh. Biden says this is going to bring in X billions of dollars in the U.S. Too. Yeah, unlikely. Yeah. Unlikely. You know, do you remember when they were going to bring in X million dollars to the U.S. by uh, doing FATCA? Right, yeah. The Foreign Accounts Tax Compliance Act. Yeah. Uh, mm. But FATCA, get it? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fat cats, he's going to get all this like us. You know, people with their Swiss Mitt Romney, basically. It was yeah. because Mitt Romney had Swiss bank accounts. They passed this thing under Obama in 2009, 10, 11. Uh, well knows and Camille probably does this multi- national tax dodging conglomerates that he secretly runs is that like if you just on the board if you have any (laughs) minority representation if you're married to a a european like i am you your annual tax exercise is not just a proctology exam but a colonoscopy Mm. um uh it's it's that thing that you do when the fish swallows the hook and you pull the hook out yeah yeah. that's what it's it's incredible they they check uh for example um, you know, uh, you remember the European newspaper? Yes, I do. Uh, <clears throat> Emmanuel used to write for it. It's been shuttered for 20 years. Robert Maxwell paper, mm-hmm. uh, which is great paper, actually. Until oh, was- he was pushed off a boat, ah! uh, murdered in his wheelchair. And then jumped. his daughter went and decided to uh, become a sex trafficker. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the details. His daughter's Jelaine Maxwell. Just wanted to be clear about that. But we, uh, uh, she started up uh, an account in London just for what the few times that she worked there. So she, we'd have money to spend on Big Macs in London. And uh, because of FATCA, that, you know, 200 pounds or whatever it is, you have to report it and figure out what is the maximum uh, uh, exchange value uh, in the previous year. So you have to go back and use calculators and things like that. Um, and there's all these promises when FATCA was passed, it's going to get all this money. We're mm-hmm. going to bring in so many billions of dollars and it's gotten maybe one uh, twentieth or one fiftieth of the amount because what happens? Rich people know how to not pay taxes. Uh-huh. Poor people or middle-class people sure. uh, basically said, 
shit, I have to, I have to get rid of my American. I'm a dual national with, with Canada or with Switzerland. This is uh-huh. why people, I mean, there's always this kind of thing when people, the number of people who are like, you know, forfeiting their citizenship. Right. And it goes up and goes up and they're like, yeah, you know, George W. Bush. Is it, it's like, no, no, it's taxes, guys. It's taxes. <laughs> they're, not, they're not mad about Iraq. They're mad about taxes. And the weird thing in, you know, long time psycho listeners of this podcast can go back and they'll remember us, I think, talking about this is that if you're on these message boards for expats, when I lived in Sweden, 90% of the conversation was about if you live in Sweden and you earn money in Sweden and it is over a certain amount at the time, I think it was seventy or $75,000. You have to pay taxes in the U.S. There are two countries yeah. in the world that do this. Two, the U.S. and Eritrea. Eritrea. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and by the way, I don't think like the Eritreans who don't live in Eritrea like ran to Ethiopia because they were being hunted by a warlord. I mean, this isn't people like, oh, I'm taking my business offshore. We are the only country in the world that does it. I believe that there's nothing's changed in that. We're still it's still in the books. Yeah, and also as part of that, uh, we basically established a. Uh, a financial reporting regime like FATCA made banks snoop on their customers. Yes. And so they started fire. They started just like uh, bouncing out American customers all over the place. Like, you know, there's six, seven million Americans who live uh, uh, outside of the country and um, you couldn't get a bank account. You couldn't get a mortgage. You couldn't do this X, Y, and Z. And um, the banks were charged with like ratting on Americans to the IRS. Yes. Right. Um, and so we sort of like uh, created this whole financial reporting regime which was hilarious because and it's hilarious that we're doing this from cuba cuba we're <laughs> close to florida close to cuba. We're, we're close yeah we're i just close. feel i'm like i'm yeah. having flashbacks it's three throw away um <laughs> is that like we <laughs> imposed <Raul> castro <laughs> we imposed <laughs> banking require secrecy requirements um basically on the entire world under obama um and except that we don't follow them ourselves which is why Florida is like the international like money laundering capital yes. of Central and South America and always has been. And like Switzerland's looking at us like, are you kidding? <laughs> we changed. We're Switzerland. We changed it. We had to change because of you and you still have Miami. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder if we should maybe stay on this on this wave here and it'll, it'll kind of make its way back to the United States. But there's all sorts of interesting things happening between the United States and Russia and China who are not G7 members. But again, this is still the international scene that have implications back here in the U.S. I know that Russia has recently said that they are looking to to get rid of their like dollar holdings with mm-hmm. reserve to some of the what, what do we call these things? The um, the uh, it's the sovereign wealth fund. Right, which they yeah. use to fund their pensions, and they are going to get rid of their dollar and replace it with more UN and uh, uh, euros. Yeah. Which I suspect, well, it seems they're likely doing because they expect there We've to be more sanctions, etc. With respect we'll to happens, taxes, yeah. so we'll see yeah. if it happens. But we do know that there's a meeting with Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin coming up on the 16th of June. Come on. So this is Come this on, is going man. to be interesting, Come but on, a, but a related topic that's likely to be to relevant is is this boom in <laughs> ransomware. I don't even know what Donbass is. I used to take a train to Donbass. My father was in Donbass. The union guy in Donbass. Just write him up, put him in the fire, put him in the fire, man. Yeah, father and son, maybe. <laughs> but you saw that by uh, that uh, Putin did the major Putin flex. No, before. I didn't see. What did he do? Oh, he set the stage. He was talking about uh, January 6th. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did he? Oh, man. I missed that. Yeah, and he's he he basically was saying, it's like, you know, um, there's a double standard here. You guys talk about uh, protests in our capital, anti-government protests. And, mm. You know, you're going around arresting people in yours. Hey, 
can't criticize us when you do mm. the same thing. And Camille, this, by the way, is like, mm, uh-huh. They, they said, no, no. <laughs> uh, Camille, those people are patriots, man. Yeah. Camille, Secretary <laughs> of State, uh, the Glenn Greenwald uh, tweeted out, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, like, uh, you know, the reactions, because not only that, but the Russia said that they were going to start their own human rights commission to oh, investigate yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. the human rights crackdowns of I the mean, January I mean, you got to admit, like, I mean, Lavrov <laughs> is a scumbag. Putin is a scumbag. I, I, anyone who's listening to this podcast knows my position on the ruling clique in mafia in Russia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I got to say, pretty good troll. It's pretty fun. That's pretty, pretty good. good troll. Like, well, we, we, we don't help ourselves when at least half the country is desperate to see as much punitive prop power being deployed upon the people who are involved in the antics on the sixth as possible. Like they imagine like life in prison is perhaps not enough for these monsters. And Again, I'm not defending those people. It is entirely possible to overstate Here's the significance the podcast, of these events. Gentlemen, where Matt says, I'm yes, just you saying. are defending them. I'm just I'm saying. Uh, he didn't say it. Palm trees. He didn't say it's it. Nice. He's not fighting me. Um, it's really but, nice here. But the other reason to mention this um, is both people expect the 2020 election meddling, which has imagined to have happened where the Russians have perhaps yeah. did bad things to come up, but also the boom in ransomware. Uh, which a couple of weeks ago, we saw the issue with the pipeline um, that was hijacked and shut down for a period of time. And it looks like a pretty significant ransom was, in fact, paid yes. in order to try to, to to get rid of that situation. And just this past week, we saw another thing with a major meat processor um, who had their systems hacked. And apparently there's been an explosion in these attacks in recent years. And um, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, uh, recently said um, in a Wall Street Journal interview, something to the effect of that this problem is as significant as like 9-11. And we're all in this and we need to do things. And there's serious coordinated efforts at the federal level to try and address this concern. Um, and and it, it does seem to me that this is a genuine problem. It's oh, substantial. Yeah. Like we're yes. seeing this happen a lot. There are various estimates of how much it costs the country every single year but certainly when folks go to get gasoline and like half of the eastern seaboard, there are like lines in various gas pumps. There are places that are completely empty and the prices are exploding. I think they're talking about potentially $7 a gas, uh, gallon gas in California, but that's for different reasons. Yeah. Um, like this is a really big deal. So I'm wondering if you gentlemen have any perspective on this. Um, I know that this is a – we were talking yesterday morning that this is an age-old problem. Yes. Like the very first ransomware 80s, yeah. attack was in the, in really? the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 But, but there's been some lull in between there. And there's no doubt that cryptocurrency has made it possible for the people who are doing these nefarious acts to ask for bigger sums and to have an expectation that it'll be harder for them to be found. Um, but – you know, how, how serious a problem do you gentlemen imagine this is in terms of actually addressing it? And what do you make of the administration's response to all of this? I mean, there's not much you can do from the administration level, because if you look at how these things happened, I mean, you pointed this out the other day, Camille, that, that um, the pipeline was a kind of disused VPN mm-hmm. that people would connect to so they had access you know, and if you don't know anything about this stuff, the most you know basic explanation is it looks as if you're on the network yourself. You've connected right. to the VPN. It's as if you're in the office on a computer connected to that network of right. computers. It was a disused one. It was you yeah, know, like a the, former employee or something like that. They, and they just never deleted this user yes. from the system. And somewhere on the dark web, someone was able to get this person's login credentials. Yes. And that's it. You get the login that's credentials. It. You get into the system. 
and a competent hacker can then own certain aspects of the system. It, it, look, and this is the thing that I, I get bored of bleeding on about it. And I guess that definitionally we can say that it has changed. But when people think of hacking, you know, they think of Sandra Bullock, of course, uh, in, in the net. <laughs> do they? Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, Some she's, yeah. she's what I think of when I think of a hacker. But they're always like, you know, it's uploading now. And they're like, oh, I got it. I got it. And it is never that. It's always like, you know, this social engineering stuff where people are basically tricked into giving their passwords. Mm -hmm. They leaked onto the dark web. They're on pastebin websites of ASCII text. Here are a bunch of passwords. Uh -huh. They try them. There's no two-factor authentication or something similar. And that's how it happens. Yeah. I mean, it's not as if they're getting what are called zero-day exploits, mm -hmm. which only are discovered by Israelis these days. <laughs> it's just like the Mossad is like they're figuring them out every second, which is a flaw in the software that someone discovers. It is not patched. People don't know about it. And they can actually use their coding skills and prowess to get through it. Right. That rarely happens. So why is this, you know, the pipeline, the other, um, I think we saw another example. That was, the meat processor. The meat processor was, all, was, that was also kind of dumb, wasn't it? It was just, this past week. We actually don't know yet. We don't know. We but don't I know. assume it was. Yeah. And the, the pipeline, we just finally have seen some reporting about what they think happened. We do know that there is a suspicion that there is some sort of Russian criminal organization that is behind the meat processor mm -hmm. hack. Um, and that there is a certain amount of ransom that's being demanded. Whether or not this will be paid is the unknown. One, the, the, the oil pipeline, though, because that was a curious one, because after that shut down sort of oil distribution on the East Coast, we saw the people who were responsible for it kind of saying sorry. They're like, we didn't actually intend for this to happen. Mm -hmm. This will, you know, and they kind of negotiated with them, I guess. I didn't actually see the details <laughs> after that. But they didn't come out like we're a state actor. We're, you know, Cozy Bear or one of these Russian uh, uh, FSB, GRU type things. Mm -hmm. It was, it shows you that you, it's kind of easy to do if you're stupid about it, right? They're not terribly sophisticated things. They usually aren't. Uh, you know, you saw the other day, like what, what else was taken offline? The Martha's Vineyard Ferry. There was mm, a ransomware attack right. on the Martha's Vineyard Ferry. So I did a story a long time ago for Newsweek about when people were saying North Korea could not have done this Sony hack. They couldn't have done any of these things. And what when you talked, I talked to a bunch of experts in D.C., some of whom were attached to government intelligence agencies and some who are private people, you know, white hat hackers, you know, the good guys and saying, like, look, the, the most of these attacks are fairly straightforward. And if you have any cash reserves, you can pay for them. You can give like, like take a simple thing, like a, a denial of service attack, like a DDoS attack. You want to take somebody's website offline. There are websites in India where you can pay somebody $30 and they will knock a site offline. And there was a bunch of examples of like, honestly, local places like in Iowa, a bakery who didn't like the other fucking bakery and they paid for some of this is actually true for taking the websites offline. Cause it's that simple. You don't need to have a high level of skill. Obviously ransomware attacks are more sophisticated than that, but it's not as if you need the sort of Russian state or the Chinese state. But if it is that easy in some of these cases where they're just, you know, passwords that are out there in the ether, I, why are we surprised that China and Russia are doing it? The United States is certainly not doing it to them, which mm. is kind Has of this democracy, uh, you know, asymmetry. It, it, yeah, it's the asymmetry of, of we don't do those things. But hasn't uh, or we the, say we don't. Uh, uh, you guys obviously know about this much more than I do. But hasn't the modus operandi of this, which has been going on for a really long time, 
especially hitting the hospital industry yes. for mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. Maybe they just have so many records or so many like places to do. But also hospitals are big organizations. But part of it is they don't ask for too much money, right? Like uh, if, it, if you ask for too much money, then you're, you're going to attract attention to the problem. Then it's <laughs> going to start becoming difficult for the people. Uh-huh. I mean, that's I think maybe maybe some of the explanation for the apology. Like, oh, no, we meant for this to be quiet. We didn't actually want to go through with the, with the bad thing mm-hmm. because you want to keep it. It's just like, uh, you know, fraud. If you do fraud at a low enough level, it's not worth it to hire a lawyer to, to fight the fraud. <laughs> and, and ransomware prices, uh, from what I can gather, um, you know, Hearing and uh, talking about it uh, uh, from Emmanuel as a private investigator, she hasn't, I don't think, worked on many cases like that. But like, you know, you hear about people talking about it. That's that's it. Like you look for that sweet level. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find this also with uh, and this isn't a ransomware issue. It's more like social uh, cracking, but uh, elder abuse type of scams, which we've had to fight through in my, in my family. And they're they make you want to murder a lot of people yes. um, uh, on a daily basis. But like um it becomes you a can problem. Teach a class at Yale. <laughs> Do you hear this? You're not like giving advice to criminals. Like this is how to take advantage of your yeah, elderly yeah. grandparents. That's true. How to, uh, how to conduct a crypto scam with great you know, effectiveness, completely under the radar. No one will notice if you just, buddy, this just is the guy ask for five hundred thousand. Plug in a mic when you steal. <laughs> Mastermind. When you steal twenty six thousand dollars, it's a different. It's a heightened level of awareness yeah. than four thousand. Yeah, so you well, just go for volume is what you're yeah, saying. What you're saying. Well, yeah, it's a volume wow. scam. Yeah, but wow. what we're also you're realizing here now first, is that that's a great idea. People won't pay for humiliation, uh-huh. but they will pay if you're stopping an industry. Obviously, yeah. So we see all what happened with the um, DC police ransomware scam, similar thing, and yeah. they said pay us. And the DC police responded, we'll like, that's way too high. <laughs> like they were actually saying, we'll pay you a low amount. And they were like, no, you pay us this. And they were like, fuck you. And they released the records and there might've been some things in there that might've been slightly humiliating. But you never really heard about never it. Never really heard about it again. Yeah. I guess maybe people agreed not to report on it. I don't know if that actually happens anymore. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Secrecy. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but yeah, that, that went away. Hmm. The ransomware, it was like, okay, we're going to start again. And thank you. Goodbye. Good luck with our you know, boring records of, Mm -hmm. you know, our, you know, retired police officials and what their pensions are. But to get to Camille's uh, question, I mean, you, all of us lived in the DC area, not that long ago. Uh um, And it was true then it's true. Now when you, when you pass through who's, what is the, the, the most frequent government advertising that you see uh, in the DC area? It is for, you know, join the, uh, the anti-hacking forces. Cybersecurity. Cybersecurity. Exactly. You hear cyber. What? So how, They've they must have boosted cybersecurity spending uh, by of course. a ton of course. since nine eleven. Basically, yeah. that's why the nine eleven. The hacks are still yeah. so just like rudimentary in many respects, which is kind of interesting. And but but the point that you're making, Matt, like brings me back to the two things that I've read repeatedly about these stories that make me the most nervous. One is there is talk about potential retaliation by the Biden administration against Russia and China for allowing these things to happen, yeah. or perhaps for perpetrating them. If it turns out that's the case, it doesn't seem as though we have any evidence that that's the case, but whatever. But retaliation just means responding in kind for the most part. Yes. Or some other sort of punishment because you can't actually do anything yes. once this has already been done. And I don't know if that is the sort of arms race I'm interested in. I, no, I'm, I support it. You do? Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, wow. 100%. Huh. 100%. I have okay. an eye over here. Absolutely. Huh. Because we have been through a phase now that we're paying all the ransoms, as Camille pointed out. And we, you, in, individual companies we, are individual doing companies, it. Yeah. Although it's not, it's not clear what sort of US advice the are, federal yeah. government is giving to people. It, except, actually, I think 
the Biden administration specifically answered a question about ransom yeah. demands saying, you know, companies have to make their own decisions about yeah. this. Which is funny because that's different than the government guidance when a when human being is, yeah. uh, is held hostage. Right. Like, don't. It's, it, it's not, only don't not only don't, it's actually worse than that, that there was threats uh, during the Obama administration of a family, one in particular in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I, when the guy was actually released by, I think it was the Al-Nusra Brigade, mm-hmm. a kind of ISIS adjunct in Syria, um, a guy named uh, Theo Padnos is a film about him uh, that's on Netflix. And I communicated with him a while. I actually wanted to do a film with him, but <clears throat> they had more money. <laughs> I didn't actually watch the film. I was too mad about it. But Theo's a really interesting guy. And they, they almost, they threatened his family because uh, his family said, fuck it, if the government's not going to pay, we don't want to see our son beheaded on yeah. camera. Mm. Theo also is Jewish. And it was not, discovered because Theo had a couple of different names that he wrote under and Mm. he would have been executed pretty quickly. So they said, we want to do this. Theo got out. And when I asked them uh, what happened, they were kind of cagey. Mm -hmm. And I did discover in one way or another that that a ransom was paid. Mm. And I don't know if that's ever been made public, but a ransom was paid. Mm -hmm. It wasn't paid by the family. It wasn't paid by the United States government, but they threatened his family with charges of financing terrorism. If they paid to have I their son remember released. that. We wow. talked about that on yeah. the Independence. Yeah, I we did. Yeah. yeah, I remember and so, but that. But in, in these, uh, you know, by the way, great book that I reviewed. Do you remember that iPad only newspaper, Matt, the Daily? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I wrote That's a review for them. Was that a News Corp publication? That was a News Corp publication. Yeah. yeah. Which is separate from the Louise Mensch thing, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that was how Heat Street. Heat yeah. Street. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was that for people for with you. mental illnesses <laughs> writing about <laughs> Russia. I, um, I remember like many people close to me getting calls to, about being potential editor in chief of that publication or going I was to work one of them. there. I was, At some point, I got called yeah. to ask to, if I was yeah. interested because it was supposed got, to be this like libertarian publication. Yeah. And I was good, good call. And I, yeah. I, I walked away from that. But I wrote a review of a book uh, about Anonymous mm-hmm. called We Are Anonymous by, uh, I think, a British journalist with the wonderful name of Parmy Olson, <laughs> which is a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic, fantastic book. And it's about that guy Sebu and uh-huh. uh, WikiLeaks stuff. And you realize that it's all social engineering and these mm-hmm. guys don't have incredibly sophisticated uh, hacking skills in the way that that uh, one might think. But as right. far as like, like Angelina Jolie and hackers, yeah. that's who I think about when you say hackers. I say, God, Angelina Jolie. Good God. Him. So, great he, roles. He's getting, he might be a little crazy. bit. He's great, it's, though. It's, no, the, not complaining. <laughs> the Jamaica a, breeze this is, is coming a through. Bit where if we, <laughs> we were should have, professional, a, we, we have should have had like the pina coladas and stuff before we got <laughs> started. <laughs> no, it's not too the early. Matt Asher. It's, it's the Matt Asher show. Well, Matt Asher we should have asked Matt because Matt is the uh, smart about tech stuff. That's actually true. So how do we? Matt is probably ransom wearing the shit out of this podcast. Yeah, I mean, really, I don't even know if he has a podcast. We he's just holding all our shit, and he's like, come down here. Do an episode, or you're, we're, we're not going to release it. This episode will be released as an NFT. That's a crypto conference Matt going on now. Asher <laughs> in Ethereum. Uh, but, you know, as far yeah. as responding, yes, yes, I don't trust the government to respond. But uh, this has been what people have been predicting for a long time: is when hacking has actually done physical damage. In the first time we saw that was, I think, Saudi Aramco's hmm. pipeline was actually blown up. Yeah, right. exploded. Yep, yep, yep. And that was maybe 10 plus years ago. And then we blew up the centrifuges. And then, we, well, the well, centrifuges. Well, that's actually a different thing. That was um, Iran. 
yes, but yeah. that was the Natanz facility, but it was also the U.S. and Israel right. that, that did that. And we saw, again, a fire, an explosion at the Natanz facility. Again, we presume that that maybe was, was actual physical sabotage. We mm-hmm. don't know. Mm. But this stuff is happening more and more. In Russia, of course, we're the first people to do it in a large scale. And it happened in Estonia, in Tallinn. Yeah, exactly. And the Estonians said, you know what? As people that were occupied brutally by the Soviet Union, fuck you, we're taking your statue to this heroic Soviet soldier out of the square in Tallinn. And they took it out in the middle of the night. And the next morning, and I talked to the prime minister about this because I had interviewed him for something else. And I just you know, got this in at the end. It wasn't relevant to the piece that we were doing. And he said that he woke up in that morning and there was no internet. He couldn't get online. He's like, oh, my device is... Russia took out the internet as a thing in Estonia in response to a symbolic act of taking a statue out. So they are very, very used to doing this. They've done it a lot in the past. And if we can actually do something to cause damage that doesn't involve soldiers, that doesn't involve ground troops, that doesn't involve bombs in killing people, I think that's good. And the reason I think it's good is because if you allow this stuff to happen, what are we going to do? When Ukraine is, you know, you know, bifurcated and Russia decides that they want to take half of it, when the same thing is, happens in Abkhazia, in South Ossetia, in Georgia, etc., the United States is not going to act in a military way. You, Matt, said, and you'll hear this soon, on stage the other day when we were doing the live show about 56 in Hungary, where the Hungarians were very disappointed that America didn't act because... Radio Free Europe said that they were going to. They were making all these sort of promises. Semi-disputed, semi but... Semi-disputed. Yeah. There's there's a, a decent amount of evidence for it. There's some that I think is actually also compelling that it's overstated. 68 in, in Czechoslovakia, 80, 81, and actually 72, 73 in Poland. We never did anything militarily. So what do you do? Because those guys get very brave after that. If you keep paying ransoms or allowing this stuff to happen without any recourse... That's not a great thing if you're worried about this stuff, and I am worried about it, that can we do something similar to take them offline to, you know, not ransom. I don't think that's something the United States government should be involved in, but, you know, knocking things offline, whatever it might be. There are people who are paid far more money than I am to actually come up with these things, Mm -hmm. but I'm not opposed to it. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's a take. I'm... I'm not sure. That's a tip. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm, I'm honestly not sure how I feel about this. As I as I told you before, I think there are there are plenty of legitimate like national security issues that demand some sort of response. And in many respects, I am I am you know non-aggression axiom like lunatic libertarian who's vehemently anti-war, but also values the prospect of American military superiority and. But what if you do something for context. China? I know it's something what do you, you mean? care about. To do something to limit the power of China, or, or to punish China for what they've done in in Hong Kong that well, doesn't allow sure. troops. Doesn't. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's what I'm saying. I, I'm I'm saying that I I have to give some thought to this. Yeah. But I, I mean, it does seem to me that there are definitely circumstances where you need some sort of response, and whether or not that sort of response is appropriate when you're dealing with a, a foreign nation that is doing various bad things. I'm not sure. I, I would imagine I feel a lot more comfortable if the disruption that was taking place was something that was directly related to, say, Hong Kong's uh, China's actions in Hong Kong, sure. or China's, sure. China's actions in yeah. connection with Taiwan, as opposed to and direct, you know, disrupting a pipeline or something. Yeah, like and, that. and directly traceable yeah. as like a state. Of course, yes. of course. Yeah. If yeah. that is the and, case, and, and transparent, quite frankly. 
Like I would prefer that it was transparent. Like this is what's going to happen if you do this thing. Yes. This is what's going to happen. We're going to do it. And, yes. and look, to the extent no lives are lost and there are only economic consequences <laughs> on, for those people, that's what I want. Um, the, you know, the last thing I'd say about this, and, and we can talk about some other stuff, is there's also been calls for like coordinated federal policy as if these things couldn't have happened had the Biden administration or the Trump administration or the Obama administration just laid down guidelines for how corporations ought to conduct their IT security. That's not the- and it's just it, it's utterly absurd. Look, it's, I, it's I an excuse to get people involved stop in, coming, but it's a bad idea. I, we have a government. We have a, a citizenry now, if you look at polling and talk to some of the idiots that I'm friends with, that believe everything on the Internet should be a utility. Right. I don't want this as another excuse to say, well, those pipelines, the meat processing, we should be more involved in this because it affects everyone right. in this way that like if you think Facebook affects everybody and you want to make that a utility, I can imagine people trying to intrude upon the security apparatus of meat processing plants or oil mm-hmm. pipelines or something like that. But because I know that I'm going to get a shitload of mail about this. Um, <laughs> two things. I'm not going to read it. So stop. <laughs> right. Okay. Save yourself some time. Go deal with your family. Say that you love them. I know you don't have any, but just pretend that you do. that's number one number two i don't know how this actually pans out i just my thing is not i have you know a a roadmap for how the u.s government should respond to this or any government should respond to this but there should be a response Mm -hmm. because one thing that i get the most angry mail about is when i say something about israel and particularly when i say something really neutral right not from Pro-Israel people, but just like neutral, I'm like, well, you know, there's this side, there's that side. People get very upset about this. So prepare yourself to get really mad about something else. (laughs) The Israelis do this quite effectively, right? And there's a reason they do it. And the Israelis did something, this is much, much worse, and I'm not suggesting this, but after the Second World War, there's actually a very good podcast about this, uh, about the, uh, uh, the, the, the butcher of Riga, uh, who escaped to South America. There's a, like a six part podcast about the Israelis hunting him down after the war. And they took that policy that you think you're going to get away with this again? No, we're going to find you and we're going to kill you. We're going to take Eichmann and put him on trial because that'll be a big, you know, media event. You'll get Hannah Arendt writing books about it, et cetera. But we will find you and we will kill you. Now, there has been some problems like that, like particularly when they killed a waiter in Norway who was not involved in this sort of thing. But the cyber version of this, which is, of course, attacking Natanz and many, 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 many other things that don't get a lot of uh, uh, attention. And there's a good book on this called Rise and Kill First that I mentioned recently about Mossad's uh, operations against uh, uh, Israel's enemies, to, to use their language. Uh, but they do it effectively and keep people at bay. I mean, if you think about it this way, there is a lot of, there are a lot of countries around Israel that surround Israel that could get together and, and, and you know, drive across Israel from you know, the Golan to the Sinai pretty quickly. But there's a lot of deterrence in effect that prevent them from doing so. Some of them military and some of them cyber, some of them their, their, you know, allegiances with other countries, et cetera. But to, to leave yourself open to this stuff keeping on happening, that's what I object to. I don't have an answer to it, but to say like, we just got to let it happen because we can't intervene. We can't involve ourselves in other people's affairs is stupid because other people will involve themselves in our affairs. And that's just a, a, a truth. Just building on uh, Camille's talk, talk about the uh, coordinated desire for a coordinated federal response to tell people uh, or you know, give guidelines about how we're supposed to do it. One way of thinking about it that's pretty clear is imagine that we had given the federal government even more leeway to talk about like private business response uh, in terms of COVID. 
Mm. Would yeah, that have yeah. been good? Mm. Yeah. Would that have been good? Like, like uh, you know, we've been in Florida the last few days, and uh, I'm glad that Florida and New York don't have the same response to COVID because it's a lot more fun in Florida now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's been great to not have a mask on and to feel like it's- Especially in this, this weather. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, God. Mask on. It's, Asher, suit. how do you live like this? I'm <laughs> sweating. <laughs> I'm like out here doing it. The first time the podcast, I've been sweating when how I wasn't you, on drugs. How do you live like this? He says seven <laughs> feet from if a you pool. Could see, if you if could, you see, could, like could honestly, pool. if you could see the dump, yeah. stop reading his script. This place is like a trailer. <laughs> I, I think I, I saw a dead dog. I mean, yep. what? Like, where are we? It was the people feeding on it. That was it, a real problem. It is actually absolutely yeah, no, and it's quite a quite a setup. Um, I, so, thank you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> There's something you said a moment ago, Matt, that I wanted to. Oh, well, we should talk a little bit, and we did this at, actually in the um, in the live show because it's it's hard to to not really take notice of it. And I think I have a little bit of COVID PTSD, but probably for the past like 24, 36 hours, I have not worn a mask at all. Yes. And there are points at which I feel just a little awkward, like walking yes. into a store or something like that and not wearing it and seeing most people not wearing it because I'm coming from California where I know that lots and lots of people are vaccinated. Most of the most vulnerable people are vaccinated, but we all go about with this theater pretending that this is the most important thing that we can possibly do, wear this thing on our face um, everywhere that we go. And there's just something really remarkable in a story that is very much yet to be told about the differential COVID responses between places like California and Florida that are at opposite ends of the spectrum, but are at very similar places in terms of the kind of devastation that was wrought by the disease itself. Whether or not we actually get to the point where we're doing the appropriate analysis, talking about the devastation wrought by the overzealous policy response in California versus Florida, which seems to be succeeding at this and not completely decimating its economy, and which was reaped a tremendous amount of scorn for pursuing a policy like that was told that they were choosing money over lives. Like I in Tiburon where I live and I, I actually haven't talked about this story, but I, I went to drop off some clothes at the dry cleaner um, that was nearby. And I, I know the guy, you know, not terribly well, but as soon as we came in, we kind of struck up a conversation. I know he's, he's got two kids in college and a younger one that's going to college in like two years. He and his family had spent years like opening a number of different cleaners in the area and during the pandemic had been forced to shutter all of them. And on the day I arrived, you get so used to greeting someone and saying something like, eh, Hey, how's it going? And um, I still remember walking in and he responds bad. And I was just taken mm -hmm. back by it. Like instantly. <laughs> California is never being, supposed I'm to just, answer I'm just being polite. Don't yeah, actually and, answer. And I, like, <laughs> and, I, and I look at him and really like sort of take notice of him. And he looked like he had been like, not crying, but just like emotional. And, and I look around and there's a bunch of like animated energy sort of in the place. I see his, his wife who works with him and his kids, like other members of the family sort of milling around the shop and they are, they're shuddering. He tells me like, we're closing the shop. And I said, oh man, and I've got a bag of laundry on my shoulder. I'm yeah. getting ready to He's drop this down. You I'm, I'm going to give him, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of business in a moment. And he says, today. Today is our last day in operation. Like we just got the, the document from the sheriff last night we need to be out by 12 midnight and the place is filled with clothes that have yet to be given back to people and it you can imagine what the situation is they haven't been able to pay their rent in months at least in full i imagine i suspect they probably tried to send something 
the owner feels like they're in a better position to get them out of there and to so try California, to get somebody like, new. prevent them from actually opening it at all well, at a certain point? No, but I'm, I'm just saying broadly, there were li- – actually, you know what? I don't know. And I suspect yeah. they probably did restrict them from being able they had, to open they it. They had stricter business shutdowns, yeah. retail shutdowns. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Just about any state. I mean, but I remember they, they had, had outdoor seating was open and then shut down again. It, that's yeah. exactly right. Crazy. Completely Crazy. shut, Completely shut down outdoor seating. In fact, when I got there – Around December 6th, there was anticipation of another spike. Mm-hmm. And they, San Francisco itself voluntarily, San Francisco and Marin County voluntarily joined into this broader lockdown that was happening mm-hmm. that was supposed to be triggered by certain rates of hospitalization. They never reached the threshold. They voluntarily locked down out of solidarity. That's with not, the rest of the region, which is completely insane. Yeah. Completely insane. And I can I can understand why one might adopt a public health policy of like shutting down things in response to hospital capacity, ICU capacity sure. in particular. Um, I can't understand one where you set a benchmark that seems reasonable and you jump early to try and make people who live a couple of counties away feel better, which is precisely the sort of it is actually the same mentality that drove the like racial equity guidance about like counties that are unable to do one thing or another, right. certain segments of the population are feeling it worse than other segments of the population is absolutely monstrous. And this is definitely going to have more effects. I've seen a number of other like going out of business sales um, in like that Mill Valley, Tiburon region. And I suspect these regions of the country will bounce back. There's a lot of money in these places. There are still customers there to, to be had. But a lot of the, the people who own these mom and shop, um, mom and pop um, facilities, they're never coming back. They're it's, being it, financially it, devastated in ways they didn't have to be. Yeah. And, and it's going to be hard to be dis- to disentangle. I've been talking for a bit here, but I just hope that we actually do the hard work of scrutinizing this. And I hope we punish it, people who went too far. We won't, of course. And we're not going to do the hard work there because, you know, you went from one place New York, mm-hmm. which was hyperventilating in a way that at the beginning I understood. And it I seemed think fairly that, defensible. Yeah, yeah. And I think we probably were too. I mean, we didn't know what this was and, and who it was going to affect. Especially and, once we discovered they were hiding bodies. Like yeah. A, well, that, that changed closet. things. But, you know, there is an addiction, of course, to this attitude that you cannot, I mean, number of pieces of the New York Times and, you know, similar type publications, um, you know, big uh, Washington Post type newspapers have mm. published about like, I don't feel comfortable wearing a mask. Everyone I know is vaccinated, but can I keep it on forever? This kind of yeah. weird psychology that's overwhelmed people. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable not wearing a mask. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, very yeah not wearing a mask. Last night, we were out having dinner here in, in, in Key West, and I got one of those alerts in my phone, and it's a New York Times alert. One would presume they publish hundreds you know, of stories a day. The ones that are going to push notify you are going to be fairly important. Right? Mm, mm. And usually it is. You get the BBC ones, and it's like... Coup in Myanmar. I'm like, oh, that's, that deserves a push <laughs> notification. This is one from the New York Times last night. Adolescents with COVID rarely end up in hospitals, but <laughs> the cases can be severe. One third wound what? up in intensive care, the CDC reported. What is one, one third of what? One third. How many? Why is this? Like, why are you wow. still scaring people? Because we have talked about this uh, in the past, that the number of people who have died of COVID between the ages of zero and 18 in America is something like 270. Now, disaggregate from that the people who had very severe illnesses, you know, immunocompromised. And then what number are we at? That has fucked us with schools. Mm -hmm. It has ruined people's lives as parents that, you know, 
ruins their uh, earning prospects when they have to figure out what to do with their kids during the day. They have to be at home. They can't do that. A lot of the people who are getting out there and, and sick, we talk about the racial equity stuff. Nobody is thinking about this in the same way that I was when we uh, I first did the story for Showtime. We were out there at the beginning of the pandemic with people who were working. All my friends were at home. They were all Hispanic because they were low wage jobs that they needed to. They can't work at home when you're cleaning a building. Right. Mm. And so these are the people who have kids that can't. They're in school. How are they paying for their kids? Who's watching the kids? There's and been, they're out there getting COVID at a higher rate than anybody else. There's been and this three, is the shit that you get from The New York Times. Three million kids who uh, estimated who have disappeared from schooling systems, yes. where people don't know where they are. Hmm. That's a lot. That's a big, a big number, and predominantly in uh, in minority or poorer uh, community yes. communities. So, what is uh, what does that mean? Like, you, we suspect that they're just kind of withdrawing from school. We're suspecting like, that mom went to work, uh, and their their uh, you know relatives or whoever is available can maybe look after them, mm. or maybe if they're uh, an adolescent, no one's really looking after them, mm-hmm. and they're not reporting to any school, and they just aren't really receiving instruction this year. Three million. It's like uh, Jeez. Um, yeah. that. Yeah, that's. Disaster. That's a massive number. Um, uh, I in in my vociferous agreement. In addition to it, I've mentioned this before, and I've written uh, about it a couple of times at, at Reason. But I took a look at the disparate economic uh, 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 outcomes uh, mm-hmm. in states um, over between February of, of 2020 and the end of December, uh, which is at the time that I was do, uh, doing it, and uh, and it's just it was such a startling number mm. that the 18 states that suffered the worst job losses all voted for Biden and were largely Democrat and one party Democratic states. And the 18 states that did the best, uh, including some uh, two that actually gained jobs during that period, uh, which is U- Utah and somebody else, um, this Mormons working, yeah, um, all voted for <laughs> starting Trump. new tabernacles, all voted for Trump and <laughs> and majority were were uh, were. Uh, um, uh, are one party states essentially in, in the uh, in the state house there that's an uh, that's an astonishing split and the, and there's no basic group differential on the amount prevalence of covid or the prevalence of deaths so that it, nothing explains it more than the partisan thing and as as does an analysis of school opening and closings the yeah. biggest single factor is how much Specifically, that you hated Trump or how blue the states are. That's who got closed. Uh, and those things are, of course, related for the reason that you mentioned, Michael. One complicating thing um, uh, that is worth thinking about uh, after that is that what do we see now with uh, vaccination rates? Right. Uh, one thing that we're learning, Camille, I think, um, is that I think some of this analysis is starting to happen. You're starting to see some journalistic analysis of like. Maybe the mitigation factors that governments took really didn't matter in any either direction. And the, and the lab leak stuff, too. Start, that's yeah. actually being actually debated. So people are, are finally now that it's safe. Uh, they're, they're thinking about starting to do journalism on this. Because um, Trump shut down his blog. But also because like the, 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 the curves are so overwhelming that it's the vaccine, stupid. When yeah. you vaccine enough people, it goes away, uh, largely. But there's an equal split, just like the 18 and 18, something like the top 20 the vac- vaccinated states are all blue states. Like the, the, California vaccinated everybody. New York, uh, you know, Maine and New Hampshire uh, vaccinated everybody. And actually, Florida hasn't vaccinated. They've done a pretty decent job with their old folks. Um, yeah. But like uh, red states in general are much lower. And there's a possibility that we'll see a little bit of a summer spike, I think, in the South, especially uh, associated with that. So that complicates it a little bit. But largely, I think you're right that the policy response has been so self-evidently harmful in ways that we're going to start understanding and seeing the 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 knock-on effects of like people were just holding on with 
with rubber bands and they snap at some point, even after the, the kind of the heat of the virus goes away. There is, of course, this ad infinitum conversation about, you know, politics ruining everything, mm. right? The mm -hmm. ideological component to everyday life. The one thing that is, I think, the worst element of that is not that we're mean to each other on Twitter, et cetera. It is how it manifests itself in COVID response. If you take it beyond America, because we've talked about the American example quite a bit, take it globally a little bit and realize that when you had a response that people thought was Donald Trump's wet dream, which was the Swedish response, hmm. keeping everything open, we heard about Sweden constantly. There was debates about Sweden. Hmm. What's the design? You know, and I used to live in Sweden and I wrote for Swedish papers and et cetera. And so people would ask me a lot, what's going on in Sweden? You, you think Sweden's good? Is it bad? Et cetera. And I saw a story this morning about a far right uh, soldier in the Belgian army who's missing. And he had been trying to assassinate uh, the chief kind of COVID response officer of the Belgian government. And he is now on the run because they sort of, you know, shut it down in some way. I don't know how. But the funny thing is reading that piece, the one thing that was not mentioned was that Belgium had the worst death rate in Europe. Anyone ever talk about Belgium? There's no ideological points to be scored. It's Belgium, for Christ's sake. The Czech Republic got hammered. Czech no. Republic got hammered. And but they we do talk we, better than any other country. Yes, they did. And we do talk about them getting hammered in Brazil because of Bolsonaro. And Bolsonaro is, you know, the Latin American Trump. And India now. Yeah, in India now. I mean, Modi is a friend of Trump's too, by the way. So you have this thing that even in a global context, we're not looking at what worked and what didn't work because these are places that shut down severely shut down bars, shut down restaurants, shut down almost all, you know, daily life, like in Belgium. And, you know, you'll ask people, like, eh, they're better at keeping numbers or something. There's no explanation for it because it doesn't easily slot into some ideological, you know, uh, predetermined kind of ideological view of how one should respond to COVID. It's absolutely ridiculous that this became that politicized. And the people who I find, and I'm sorry to say this, I don't want to politicize it myself, but you kind of have to when, when it's gone this direction. The people who are most political about it are the people who are, you know, walking up to you with their hats on. I saw this the other day and I can't say where, but I saw this the other day of someone with a hat on and said, I believe the science and a hat. Mm -hmm. What a fucking dumb I, hat is I that? In science, I mean, yeah. like, really? You believe the science, this thing, the is science that, that is right. Is that out in East Egg? No, it wasn't. I'll tell you after, <laughs> but uh, I really can't say it. But that kind of thing, these people who believe the science, who will be swaddled in mass for the rest of their fucking lives because they don't believe in science mm. and because they don't, they are hyper ideological about foreign countries and how they've responded because they're worried about Bolsonaro. Is anyone explaining why Canada is not getting vaccines into people's arms? Great healthcare system that everyone talks about. Michael Moore makes movies about it. Why not? Mm. Why is Europe still shut down? Why is I was watching the NHL? And there's two games, two uh, playoff games, same time, flipping back and forth between them. The Bruins versus the Islanders in in Boston, full capacity. Mm -hmm. And then the Canadians were playing the Maple Leafs. Nobody in the stadium. Mm. And they're cutting between these things. Why? Is anyone talking about this? No, no, no. The New York Times is sending me push alerts that 14 kids got very sick one time. And we don't know why. <laughs> mm. They were probably just shitty kids. <laughs> mm. It's very similar, like broken Thank windows, fallacy stuff. I 
Thank I'm, God for David Leonhardt of the New York Times. As uh, someone who's mm, been shockingly great on this, um, yeah. And, and someone says, like, you know, I wish David Leonhardt would write about X. Uh, yes. Having to do like removing masks. I think Carol Markowitz uh, has written about that on the, on the New York Post and Twitter because as soon as he says, "Hey, maybe yes. we shouldn't have masks okay on for two-year-olds outside in the summer mm, at mm, camp," yes. given that everyone's vaccinated except for the two-year-olds, and two-year-olds aren't catching it anyways. Um, and then a few days later, Fauci's like, "Ah, you know, maybe." <laughs> so they don't listen to the science they listen to the new york times call well we should we should yes. actually talk about fauci briefly and, and I, I mean briefly because i think most of the response to fauci's emails actually being not not leaked but released because of freedom of information um requests believe this was uh, as a result of the the work of journalists over at buzzfeed which is precisely the kind of work you ought to be doing jason this leopold you, this is what you want to see um, but it's important to note the way that this has been politicized on both ends of the political spectrum, so to speak. In, in one respect, this is obviously completely um, vindicating because it shows that there's nothing to hide and Fauci did everything right. On, on the other extreme, it's Fauci obviously ought to be in prison. <laughs> the lab leak is true. <laughs> With his we head know all on of a pike is the worst. The White House. He's a monster. Steve Bannon. Let's it's not completely. Forget. It's completely outrageous. What here's? I think the only thing that really needs to be said about these emails is that while I value the transparency that's delivered, Mr. Fauci, working for the government for many many years, is well aware of the fact that these work emails, not personal emails, are likely to be released at some point. Yes, and is thoughtfully, sensibly, carefully writing his emails. And in some instances, explicitly saying, hey, let's jump on the phone to talk about this. Any journalist who's done this job at all, who's dealt with like lawyers yeah. and stuff, or any sane person has had circumstances where they say, let's not text about this. I'm going to call yeah. you, which is precisely what happens. And I would say this. I don't think there's anything in those emails that I've seen that suggests that Fauci is like a terrible monster or the greatest human on earth. He was like doing his job, it seems. And in many instances, like responding to people late at night and random citizens who would email him somehow managed to get his email address. That's noble. And that's great. The stuff that I've seen there doesn't change my opinion of him in any sort of material sense. I think Fauci made some mistakes. I think the biggest mistake was, as we discussed earlier, Matt, like just the sort of political, the political public health machinations that we've seen play out that in many instances involve apparently openly lying to people. Yeah. And admitting it later that, you know, masks don't matter. Now they're great. And now they're, they're the best thing. You should totally wear it. And I now think, they don't matter again. Yeah, some more integrity would be better. But I think that's the most you can say about this. Yeah. And we can largely ignore the craziness that's happening on both ends of the spectrum. I mean, he's uh, the the scandal about Fauci. You're right. Has been out there in the public for all to see. Like mm -hmm. when he said things that even at the time you knew were not necessarily true and that he was doing it for motivation. Your initial um, oh, you don't need a mask thing was because there was a mask shortage and he didn't <laughs> want to run in the stores. That's it. And, right. and it was kind of obvious. And then later he sort of admits these That's things what he says, yeah. in interviews. The emails don't don't suggest that he had like differences of perspective on it, except that his perspective changed, which but is, this, you know, whatever. But this is the problem of public health as it is administered in the United States. And, it, and that is absolutely something that needs to rethink because instead of following CDC's own internal guid guidance about a pandemic, which is that it's really important above all to be level and truthful mm -hmm. to the public because if you're not, Maintain they know it and it's going to lose your credibility. Yep. And then you're going to be boy who cried wolf when you say, no, really, you need to listen now. Um, that's right in there, uh, in their, in their guidance. Instead of doing any of that, they have tried to shape behavior. Yeah. And that's Cass Sunstein territory, man. That's nudging you into an outcome and that doesn't work. 
Um, it, you shouldn't shape behavior. We, you should before tell the we truth. move away from this, one hand, I, I'm, I'm confident that anyone listening to this conversation is going to uh, igno- know, not anyone, but there are some people listening to this conversation who are going to acknowledge the fact that I have not mentioned the lab leak in this context. Yeah. And the particular concern that people like, um, uh, um, which one? Uh, I'm, how am I forgetting his name? Ron Paul's son. <laughs> Rand, Bill. Rand Paul. Paul. Bill Paul. Yeah. Jason. Logan Jason Paul. Paul. Logan Paul. <laughs> how, how Rand Paul has been out there going out there after pu- Fauci publicly. By the way, Rand Paul not as good of a fighter as Logan Paul. <laughs> Come on. We'll see. We'll Just see. see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, because that fight is tomorrow, I think. Uh, but uh, but Rand Paul has been going after Fauci pretty hard. And there's some questions that remain whether or not some of Fauci's reluctance to believe that this could have emanated from a lab has something to do with the fact that he has at least publicly advocated for some version of gain of function research. I think there is this ridiculous dispute as to whether or not what was happening in this particular lab was in fact gain of function research. I think it's fairly, yeah. fairly clear that yeah. it, it is something that can sure. be described as gain of function research, but whether or not like Fauci was actively lying or trying to misrepresent the facts to, pr- to, to protect himself from some sort of culpability here. I, I've seen zero evidence in any direction with respect to any of that. And one can only speculate about that sort of thing. We can today. speculate about why people push back so hard, so fast on that as a possibility, uh-huh. on the lab leak thing as a possibility. That That's the most interesting email that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nicholas Wade, formerly of the New York Times, right. who wrote a pretty influential medium post about the lab leak theory, mm-hmm. wrote something and about a, a particular email from one of these people who signed the letter that was published in Science or right. the Lancet or maybe even both about how this is not the case. Mm-hmm. Had actually written an email that said, you know, the actual structure of this looks as if it was man-made, mm-hmm. and that is pretty curious and pretty interesting. But mm-hmm. we don't know enough to yeah, say that, anything that about email that. Email is heavily redacted. It was heavily redacted. We don't really know. I am not um, kind of like you, uh, kind of like sort of like all of us. I'm not on the anti-Fauci bandwagon. I think has made some enormous mistakes, but. That one thing that we both talked about, you guys both talked about here, which was the mask thing, saying it, uh, you know, just because they actually want another result, which is to have masks and other PPE be at hospitals and not in the hand of, hands of private citizens. The thing that about that is that no one really mentions the fact that this has been health policy for a very long time. That's true. And you look it's at fair. that, particularly with the AIDS crisis, and people to this day will not say this. And I probably I feel even a little skittish about saying it Uh-oh. now. I know is that no? It, we told everyone at the time that it was equally as likely that straight people and, and gay people would get AIDS. That turned out not to be true, mm-hmm. and we kind of knew it wasn't true at the time. But it was done for a purpose of like we want people to wear condoms, we want people to have safe sex. And we don't Let's, want to stigmatize. We don't right. want to stigmatize this thing. The science was actually not saying that, but they did that for those kind of both you know, uh, p- political re- reasons and public health reasons. Right. And they thought the public health benefit w- was, was you know, better to lie than it was to be kind of more honest about this stuff with the public and say that, you know, I mean, remember the original acronym for AIDS was GRID. GRID. Yeah. Gay-related immune deficiency. Yeah. And that's where, or, or before, even before that, it was, they called it gay cancer. Mm. And it was affecting one kind of subgroup. And, you know, there was an active, uh, in Fauci, by the way, was, was hugely instrumental. Yeah. Yeah. Lori Garrett and Fauci and these people in the initial response to the AIDS policy. And I don't know if there's any evidence that, that he actually formulated that and say, let's kind of equalize it and make sure, because when I was young, and I'm sure this is probably the case uh-huh. with you guys too, I was terrified. Right. 
I was terrified because I was just having sex all the time. I yeah. Mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that, by the way. That's not true. That's not true. They, they terrified us about herpes before we got to AIDS. So that Did was, they? Oh, oh that's yeah, a yeah, California like, thing. Time Magazine, 1983, man. It was just like, you're going to die of herpes. That's a Cali- I think that like, California Motley Crue yeah. hair metal you're that die was, yeah. of Motley Crue. You probably did. They all had it if you were <laughs> now he rocks again. Yeah. Well, the the risk of stigmatization seems like a very legitimate thing to be concerned about, particularly in the the case of HIV AIDS with Grid at the time. I mean, I I was quite young during the beginning of the panic, but I can certainly remember like the sort of broader societal sentiments around like the gay and homosexual community, certainly in my household. It, it was different. Up, even evangelical Jamaican households. <laughs> Very different. But, 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 but one can only imagine that that would have been like a, a material problem. But still, one also has to worry that if you're not raising concern for the most affected populations, yeah. the way we've talked about most raising concern about the most affected population for racial equity purposes sure, with COVID sure. it's very similar. Um, is, is yeah. weird. Well, very similar in one respect, um, it, that there is sort of this particular concern, whether or not it's as material is another thing entirely. And there's, yes. there's good reason to believe that it is not nearly as material. But we, we've got a couple of minutes left here. There's a lot we could talk about. Minneapolis, Minneapolis is still burning and their George Floyd Square. Um, they began... They reopened it and began removing the structure from there, which there have been interesting stories written about that that people should seek out. But I wanted us to take a couple of minutes to just talk about uh, the Tiananmen anniversary, which was just yesterday, if Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Um, And I saw, Moynihan, you shared a tweet um, with this just really kind of gut-wrenching AP image of of Hong Kong, where protesters had been sort of massing for this particular anniversary. And they've been doing it for for years, yeah, now. yeah, in that um, one but square, they, yeah. it had reached this, this kind of—I think it's Victoria Park, I think if I'm not mistaken—and yeah. um, those protests by the beginning of last year had grown to, and really the end of the previous year had grown to like these record proportions, where you've got like a third of the city is out in the streets participating in these demonstrations, mm-hmm. and there is graffiti and everything everywhere. And I, as we all know, I was there in January of last year um, when just before COVID happened, when things were not quite at their peak, but as we didn't know at the time, really kind of at the end of an era with respect to just kind of this these open demonstrations against the Chinese government and really against yeah. the Hong Kong government, which was which is in fact a tool of the Chinese government. And now there is no one gathering in these parks. No, um, what you have is people who are like shopping who at a particular time will raise their phones and like turn on the light and stuff like that, or attend a church service um, in memoriam of these people. But it's, uh, it's really gut wrenching to see how um, the Chinese government has really leveraged the past year and a half or so of um, pandemic response as a pretense to go in and just completely and before that, too, because you see the, the, in those in photos that I, they show the square over, you know, the last decade or, or maybe even the past two decades. And it's dwindling, you know, from well, it's probably from the handover. Yeah. It's dwindling from 96 kind of on. Yeah. And it, it dwindles and pops and then and then it's out. nothing. Yeah. And, you know, what is the lesson to be taken from that? I mean, the re- lesson to be taken from that is. State power and state violence is always the most effective thing for a government to do. I mean, there, that was condemned by every government in the world, 
it was a disaster of epic proportions for China, and they had to recalibrate things. But they stayed in power, right? You look at, I was talking to somebody the other day in Miami who's Venezuelan. You look at the Chavista violence that is, it has brought ruin to a very, very wealthy South American country. Ruin. V- violence like you've never seen. And the power of the state has pushed people out of the country. They have remained in power with a broken economy, mm. with blood on the streets every day, with a uh, PDVSA, with an oil company that cannot produce oil. They're importing oil from the United States. You were close to Cuba here, you know, very close to Cuba here. We're surrounded by Cubans because the state power and the state violence of Cuba is so effective that a country that has economic ruination has remained in power since 1959. Mm. No wavering. You guys went to the Bay of Pigs Museum. We talk about that on the on the um, the live show. Like that was it. That was the only attempt, really. I mean, real kind of we're going to invade you sort of thing. And you can look all around the head. now. Take China, where you have a very similar thing, same ideology, but one that takes on capitalist characteristics and then becomes a wealthy power. And imagine on top of that, you have fucking NBA players who don't want to offend that huge market that now has money, but has a violent authoritarian government Mm. that puts people in concentration camps, executes them routinely, pushes people out into Hong Kong, then takes over Hong Kong, says, no, we're going to allow it as a semi-autonomous state, and then reneges on that. It's the power of a violent state controlled by the PLA, controlled by the army, is the same as the case in Cuba, the same as the case in Venezuela. There are other countries like this. It works. That is a problem. Until it doesn't. There are so uh, few cases where it doesn't. I mean, in the sense I mean, of like we, this, have, we have far fewer authoritarian countries than we did yes. uh, 31 years ago. Although, where's, think, the, where's the trend line headed right now? Trend line is not in a good place right it's now. It's not in a good place for them, but I would say this is the difference. This is what I'm, I maybe I'm not underscoring enough. I think if the, if the Soviet Union in those protest movements fired, they'd probably stayed a lot, a lot longer. Hmm. Uh, if in, in, in East Germany, when they took over and shouting Stasi Raus, Stasi Raus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and invaded the Stasi building, if they open fired on them, it would have been a different thing. But Tiananmen actually, uh, changed that predicted response because of That's the true. outrage, uh, international outrage at Tiananmen and the fact that it was televised. I mean, we didn't see the televised murder, but we saw a yeah, lot of aspects we saw of it, being, yeah. uh, uh, televised of it. Um, and here's, you know, to, if you want to close on a pessimistic thought, <laughs> Like um, because that was super optimistic for Moynihan, <laughs> um, is that I'm sad about these countries. Uh, uh, we should be very, very sad about Hong Kong, which is uh, there's there's no expectation that's going to exist as an independent state. It's, it's not. It, it we doesn't. Should, we should be. Yeah, we should be saying uh, or, you know, even a semi anything. It's 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 China. Uh, we should be just uh, issuing as many visas as humanly possible. But here's an even more depressing yeah. thought is that in our age right now, like. Tiananmen Square changed the trajectory of my life. People who were, you know, who were 21 in 1989, um, like it just changed everything. And then, and, uh, and not just uh, at, at age 21. If Tiananmen happened tomorrow, w- would would the outrage be the same? Would the international response be the same? Would, be, I think it'd be weaker. I think it, it would. Well, well, yeah. this is this is interesting because I'm yeah. I'm, remem- I'm remembering my time in Hong Kong and and we talked a little bit about the challenges with releasing that piece just because I I sat down and I talked to kids who had been involved in these protests and you try to hide their identities and in some instances you can't because they're not even trying to hide their identities yeah. they're openly talking to you <laughs> you're trying to save but, them but it it was clear that the actual violence that was meted out 
by the Hong Kong police against protesters actually invigorated that protest movement. And at the time, I remember thinking to myself, man, like, I am so worried about these kids. I'm like talking to this 19-year-old kid who has effectively made himself an enemy of the state, who is was talking to me about fleeing to Taiwan because he knew he couldn't stay in Hong Kong much longer. He'd already been caught once. Had he been caught again, Hong Kong, even at that time, it was the case that you could pretty much just get lost in prison. They could hold you indefinitely without a trial if you were caught a second time at a protest, just being there. And he was doing more than that. He was on the front line. He was one of the kids throwing Molotovs and stuff. Like The state's response actually ratcheted up, ratcheted up the response in Hong Kong. And I had this like feeling in my gut that at some point this kid might lose his life because of a sort of Tiananmen t- type response from the People's Republic, uh, is the People's Republican, People's Republic Army, the, the People's, yeah, the, yeah, the People's people Liberation, Liberation Army, yeah. People's Liberation Army, which is just aptly named, of course, <laughs> yeah. it's for the people. Yeah, the Democratic Republic of North Korea. Um, yeah. <laughs> People's Liberation Army. But I, I just imagine like the worst case outcome, and instead of that worst case outcome being like the violent crackdown on Hong Kong protesters, it turned out to be a global pandemic that created a pretense for them to completely locked down on things and with the protests or the demonstrations for like uh, uh, Tiananmen Remembrance both years, the reason for the restrictions given by the government of Hong Kong was not merely that this is bad to do and unacceptable, but COVID, despite the fact that they haven't had a case of COVID in Hong Kong in more than a month. Um, so there's there's something really it's it's a real gut punch about that just overall. So. In one amendment to what I said, just I'm, I'm thinking of examples recently, and they're all negative. They're all bad. Yeah. And there are, of course, as these kind of slip away, you know, sort of authoritarian governments, sometimes dictatorships, not usually, but authoritarian governments, and those change hands. But in the way of the state using violence to keep themselves in power, I think of one example where it actually didn't, it wasn't successful, and then you realize that it was only partially successful was uh, Ukraine. It was mm. Maidan Square, and there were shooting protesters mm-hmm. and shooting them in cold blood and killing lots of them. And they took over that government, and then Russia took over half their country. Mm. So it kind of works, but not, not, not entirely. You know, and that is a thing, is that what is the United States going to do? We have, and let's, talking specifically in our last moments here um, about the United States, is that, you know, you have these debates in presidential elections, well, Hillary Clinton said she would directly arm the uh, people in Donbass. Mm. Well, I don't want to directly. And it's, this is just this kind of airy fairy up there. What are we going to do? And it doesn't change anything on the ground there. I mean, Russia knows that if it does something in Georgia, if it does something in Chechnya uh, twice in the two Chechen wars, if it does something in, in Ukraine, there's not going to be that vigorous of a response from the West and in, in mostly because it's not much you can do. And China knows the same thing. I mean, Burma, you see the military coup there. I mean, what are we going to do about that? I mean, Aung San Suu Kyi was not being a great person prior to that anyway. <laughs> so it's, look, I just see those photos to, to, to bring it back to the Tiananmen photos. And I realize, man, that shit just really works. It really does. If mm. you want to, if you don't care, if you have, but the thing that stopped the Soviet Union is that Gorbachev for Matt and I, are on the same side of this one, do not have a ton of respect for Gorbachev like a lot of other people do, but he was sensible enough that he would not be a person who was going to pull a trigger, which was why they tried to arrest him and do a coup against Gorbachev because they wanted to shoot. And if they did want to shoot, I think they would have been around a lot longer. So anyway. 
All right. Something to chew on. Well, we should. I mean, I feel a little bad because it, it was a bit of a downer, but I guess you know we're, not we're, a downer? In, we're in a beautiful place. Matt Asher. Matt Asher. Matt Asher, Matt Asher, Asher is, is not, not a, downer. a downer. Matt no. Asher podcast, not a downer podcast. The uh, show. There's on- a couple episodes. I was like, this is a real fucking downer. Yeah. yeah. We got to get, we got to get out of here. <laughs> you know, and you know, I said, no, no, just give him a chance. <laughs> I, I think this is our first formal, like paid sponsorship ad situation. It's not a paid sponsor. I mean, it kind of is. No, we're, the, the, no it's not. We're on a junket. It's not a junket. It's not a junket. I mean, if Matt Asher was a, a psychopath Holocaust denier, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> That's true. Matt Asher is a good bloke. <laughs> but it could still be a junket. You could be I, a good bloke and it'd be a junket. I'm going to cut this out in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Let's go get in the water. Bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. <laughs> <laughs>